0: Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, FlowHealth, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A slash decoder. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today, I'm talking to Jim Farley, the CEO of Little Outfit in Detroit called the Ford Motor Company. You might have heard of it. Ford just yesterday announced the new F-150 Lightning, their first all-electric pickup truck, and the second vehicle in the company's major push into EVs. The first, of course, being the Mustang Mach-E. That's two of Ford's most iconic brands now electrified, and I talked to Jim about what it means to transition Ford into being an EV company, competing with Tesla, and how to build a charging network around the world that can support its efforts. Ford also just announced a major deal with Google to use Android as the operating system in its cars. And I wanted to know what pushed the company in that direction. And how Jim sees our relationship to cars changing as they turn into what are fundamentally rolling computers. How many years of software updates should we expect? His answer surprised me. He hinted at one day being able to upgrade the computing system of a car the way you might upgrade or replace the engine or the shocks. Of course, we also talked about the chip shortage that's having a particularly big impact on the car industry. Ford is cutting production by 50% this quarter because it can't get enough chips. That's because the chips in cars are made using much older technologies. The M1 chip in a new Mac or iPad Pro is made using a five nanometer process. But a lot of chips in cars are made using a 55 or even 90 nanometer process. And as demand has skyrocketed, the chip fabrication facilities using that older tech just can't keep up. Jim talked about needing to move Ford's cars to newer, more flexible chips and bringing some of those chip relationships in-house, just like any other tech company. In fact, as you listen to this conversation, pay attention how much Jim Farley, who again is the CEO of Ford, talks like a tech executive. As more and more things turn into computers, the more problems across the business landscape all kind of look like the problems of the computer industry. It's a fascinating shift. Of course, we also talked about the new F-150 Raptor because honestly, I just can't help myself. Oh, one more thing. You're going to hear Jim talk about the Homer, which is the car Homer Simpson designed in the famous Simpsons episode, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A car so disastrous that it put his brother's company out of business. A tremendous episode of the Simpsons. And I guess it's a cautionary tale for every car executive. I just wanted to make sure everybody understood the reference. Okay, Jim Farley, CEO of Ford. Here we go. Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. Welcome to Decoder.
2: So nice to be here. You know, I'm really excited to talk about the new F-150 Lightning.
1: Yeah, let, let's start with the news. You just announced the new electric F one hundred and fifty Lightning. You brought back kind of a legendary Ford street truck name for that. It is very aggressively priced. I'm looking at the numbers; it's just a hair under forty thousand, and that's before tax credits.
2: Yeah, we avoided the thirty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine price point. <laughs> no, our marketing <laughs> people came in, you know, at seven hundred ninety four dollars. And Ford is still has plenty of federal tax credit available, even though Maki is selling very well. You know, look, it's a watershed moment. I've been involved in the industry, work for multiple brands, and I have never, ever driven a vehicle like this. We've been really hard at work innovating. 1.1 million F-series we make every year. We have a lot of scale. Uh, we can pass a lot of that benefit on to the customer. But we want to move customers to electric, And so we want this to be affordable and also give people a surprising product that they didn't expect.
1: Yeah, I I want to talk about the Lightning. I want to talk about the Mustang Mach-E. Let me start with a, a big question. Do you anticipate that sometime in the future Ford will only make electric cars, that you won't make any gas or diesel vehicles at all?
2: I would say for retail, I could see that day we'd have to get to solid state and a lot of other things would have to happen. Infrastructure would have to improve in places like South Africa and Australia. I mean, you know, Ford is unlike a lot of our competitors. We didn't really shrink our global footprint. So we're still a very large company in Australia and Thailand and South Africa. I, I think it'll take some time for those societies to move to full electric, but the only maybe exception for us is that we're such a dominant commercial brand. People don't know this about Ford, but we're 40% of the commercial light-duty vehicles in the U.S. We're a leading brand in Europe. We're one of the leaders in China. We're definitely a leader in the countries that I mentioned with Ranger. And so those customers, a lot of them go seven, 800 miles for their job. And so the technology would have to really evolve for those kind of specialty commercial customers. Ironically, some of the commercial customers will flip even before the retail customers do. So I, I don't know how to handicap it, but it sure seems like we're heading that way.
1: You mentioned Ford still has a lot of the federal tax credits that bring the price of EVs even lower for most people. Those do run out. They are finite. Some other car makers have run out of them. Are you lobbying the Biden administration to extend that program to offer more tax credits?
2: Look, Ford was the only major car company to support the Paris Accord and the California Standard uh, when it was not popular in Washington, (laughs) D.C. And we absolutely think that to make this move to e-mobility, customers are very rational. They do the math. If electric vehicles are cheaper for them to own and operate, that will be one more thing that makes them more compelling. And so we think it's a pretty important initiative for the new administration. The key is going to be to balance a lot of other things beyond just moving to electric vehicles and zero emission. And that is you know, labor in the US. Ford is the number one producer of automobiles in the US. We have more people making cars and vehicles than anyone else, even though we're not the largest. And so we care deeply about our employees and them making this move as well. So I think there's some optionality that the government has on what else They want to stipulate as they look to support this e-mobility move, and being the biggest producer will have, I'm sure, a big say in that, or at least a chance to have an open dialogue. But we're very optimistic about the new administration and their priorities.
1: You're suggesting that maybe you'd get a bigger tax credit if you bought an American EV versus a foreign EV?
2: Could be. It could be affordable price. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways for it to... To happen, but if we want to move into an electric future in large scale, it can't be hundred thousand vehicles. Uh, there's only so many people who can afford that. You know, we have to have an F series that starts with more than forty grand, and uh, we have to make sure that these kind of incentives are oriented towards more affordable price points. So, I, I just think there's a lot of optionality there on how such a such a support could come to fruition, and I think the administration has some decisions to make as they should.
1: Let's talk about the Lightning. It's cool. Uh, it's uh, you know obviously a bold product for Ford. You've started your kind of big consumer EV push with iconic Ford nameplates. You did the Mustang Mach-E, now you're doing the F-150. It seems like with the Mach-E, you're attracting mostly new customers. That's what I've been reading. Are you anticipating that with the Lightning, you're going to get mostly new truck owners, or are you going to convert the huge base of existing truck owners?
2: I think it's going to be a mixture of both. We don't know yet, but, you know, it was interesting. We did a survey recently and asked customers who are intending a pickup truck. If you were going to buy an electric pickup truck, who would you buy it from? Like, who would you expect to do a good job to come to the market? And Ford was by far the most uh, preferred brand, unlike sedans where Tesla was a f- preferred brand. We were way above Tesla because of our history. And we know this customer. When you look at the product, I I drove the latest prototype last uh, week with Bill Ford. And, you know, I have to tell you, I've been involved. I've been a big sponsor of this project. I was totally blown away. It's faster than a Raptor, 770 foot-pounds of torque, zero to 60 in four seconds. Like the batteries are low. The center of gravity is low. It's got a new independent rear suspension and standard four-wheel drive. So, you know, there's the whole driving experience is totally different than a full-size pickup truck. It's fast, it's planted, it's quiet. It's like, what is going on with this thing? And then you have the whole frunk, four days of power for your home. It's a digital product as well. So I, I think people are gonna be surprised that the innovation is far beyond the batteries and the motors.
1: Let's talk about that frunk. I am fascinated by this front trunk. And the, and the new F-150 Lightning, <laughs> uh, it's obviously like a big space, right? It's designed to hold big engines in the standard trucks, V8s, diesels. So you got all this space back. I'm, I'm just looking at the, the press release here. You can get two carry-on suitcases and a standard suitcase in there. It has four power outlets. There's a part of me that says that's really cool and fun. And there's a part of me that says, oh, you're just – it still looks like a gas-powered truck right? Like you, you get that, that, that frunk is a result of taking out a gas engine and putting in a different kind of drivetrain. Did you ever stop and think, hold up, we could just reinvent what this truck looks like entirely? Or is there value to just sort of the classic pickup truck shape?
2: Yeah, totally. We totally went through that process actually. And when we did research with customers, they were like, cause we're Ford 1.1 million of these pickup <laughs> trucks every year. They were like, look, can you bring the price down? with your scale absolutely so we can reuse you know suspension components seats all that kind of stuff that scale helps to bring the price down the second thing is they're like i don't want this to be a spaceship i want it to be a pickup truck i want to act like a pickup, look like a pickup truck i just want it to be different i think for the frunk the thing that you can't read on a press release that blows me away is that with your phone or with a fob you press a button and the entire front of the vehicle lifts power. So it's like this huge thing opens up and there's this big space. And we heard a lot of people, you know, they want their tools. They want their mountain bikes. They want their, you know, luggage, not in the back, in the front, lockable. It's safe. And it's power. You just press a button, it opens. It's totally cool. It's like a, your, your rear latch on an SUV but this is the whole front of the truck lifts up.
1: Yeah, I, there's something about it that I, I feel like I need to see it to fully understand. I was just reading the press release. You're totally
2: right. It's uh, kind of a game changer, but you, I, I think your, your intuition is spot on.
1: <laughs> so, so you brought up the idea of customers not wanting a spaceship. Obviously what you're talking about there is the Cybertruck, right? And Tesla did something very bold. With the Cybertruck, it is a triangle on wheels. It, it looks absolutely nuts. Some people are very taken with it. It kind of feels like with the Mach-E, you entered a little bit of Tesla's territory, sedans, you brought it up yourself. And with the Cybertruck, they're trying to bite a little bit of yours. How is that competition going?
2: It's all good. It's all good for the customer. That Mach-E and the Tesla Y, they're different customers. 70 plus percent of our customers for Mach-E were completely sold out, are new to Ford. It's all good. That's good for everyone. We'll be in a competition of who does the most OTAs that matter the most for customers. <laughs> and, and on pickup trucks, uh, all I'll say is there are lots of flavors of soda, but there's only one Coke. And there'll be lots of electric pickup trucks. There's only one F-150.
1: It's bold. I like it. Do you ever think about just like wilding out on Twitter to compete with Elon directly?
2: Um, you know. look, I have to tell you that I have nothing but respect for Tesla. It was one of the most magical things that happened in our industry, is to see a company so single-minded, so focused on uh, simplicity, and really reinventing the customer experience. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've had some moments on Twitter, actually, (laughs) around Blue Cruise. Ford's a customer company. Like, we've been in business for 118 years, because we're focused on customers, especially in, the, in these kind of iconic spaces like Mustang or Bronco or, or F-150. And I think I admire companies that are like us who are focused on customers. And I think they've done a great job. It's just uh, pickup truck customers are a little bit different.
1: One of Tesla's big advantages is obviously their supercharger network. You know, I drove a Mach-E for a, a week or so, a couple months ago, The Verge reviewed it. I read a lot of the other reviews. They all kind of matched my experience. It's a great car, one of the best TVs you can buy. The charging situation is a little spottier than Tesla's charging situation, maybe a lot spottier. You know, you put out an F-150. Those are work vehicles. People drive them a long time, long distances. They run them all day. Charging is going to be an even bigger conversation around a vehicle like the F-150. How do you bring up the charging network to to compete with what Tesla has done?
2: It's a really good point. I think we have more outlets—60 more, more than 60,000. But like you said, to, to find an outlet that's not being used, that's not broken, you know, that's convenient for where you need—that's really the challenge. It's not the number. Although we have an amazing number, like I think more than any, you know anyone, it's really the practicality of the reality of charging, as you said, day in and day out. I think what's really different at Ford or what we're bringing to the charging network is we're focused on commercial customers with this Lightning. We're going to have a retail one, and we're going to have a Lightning that's focused on commercial customers. It'll be white. It'll be very basic specs. <laughs> and it's gonna be for work customers. And work customers are totally different than electric retail. They don't overbuy on the battery. They have repeatable duty cycles, so they basically drive the same route every day. They know exactly how many miles it is, and they do depot charging. They don't do charging on the road. They do where, you know, if you're a plumber, electrician, you got five vehicles, you you charge at your business. And what we're gonna bring is a charging solution that's very unique for the commercial customer. Now on the retail side, we've put a ton of technology to make the charging of these very large batteries very unique for this truck, for the retail customer. And so I will be very interested to see how we compete with others on the charging experience because we put a lot of extra content to allow for DC fast charging to go faster on this than what we think the competition's gonna do. In addition, we have bi-directional charging, which is also totally new. And so we'll be able to send electrons back into your house, you can sell them to the grid, and uh, we have a a special solution for retail customers who wanna do that, and we put it standard in the truck. So that's gonna be a bit of a difference than Mach-E because the the charging hardware on the the F-150 is different than the Mach-E.
1: We're gonna take a quick break, but when we return, we'll dive deeper into the Ford technology stack and where it's headed in the future.
0: Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Debate time. Who gets more out of Wix Studio? Designers or devs? First off, if you don't know about Wix Studio, it's a web platform offering the flexibility agencies and enterprises need to deliver bespoke sites hyper efficiently. Now, back to the debate. Designers, you can create fully responsive websites starting with a blank canvas or choose a template for any layout and tweak per pixel with your CSS. If no-code's your thing, or you just like to move fast, there's also a ton of smart features, like native no-code animations and responsive AI that adjusts every breakpoint. Devs, Wix Studio offers a powerful suite of homegrown web APIs and REST APIs. Quickly integrate, extend, and write custom scripts in a VS code-based IDE alongside an AI code assistant. Designers or developers, search Wix Studio Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: Okay, we're back with Jim Farley. Charging networks leads me to the big question of standardization. So when you drive a Mach-E around, you open the charging map, Ford looks like it has a lot of charging stations, but they're not yours, right? The software is sort of collating a bunch of partnerships with other companies, other car makers, and you kind of see all the the charging stations around. But sometimes they're incompatible. Sometimes they don't all charge at the same rates. You've got a Lightning. You've got a Mach-E. They use different charging technology. If I was talking to like a standard tech company executive, I'd be like, where's the industry standard? How are you going to adopt it? How are you going to enforce it? And how do I know that my USB-C cable plugs into the computers all the same way? And it feels like with charging, you've got the exact same problem, but on a massive scale.
2: Yeah, it's a big deal. And you can see why it's such a big focus from the new administration and their infrastructure investment. Yeah, I think there is a lot of work to do. I think we've done a very good job with what's out there. ford i mean i have no hesitation where a maki customer you know living life with maki every day i don't see any risk at all in the charging experience but there is a lot of improvement that we can make i totally agree i will say though that ford has the opportunity on the commercial side to do what tesla's done on the retail side because we're 40 percent of that industry and we absolutely intend for the charging experience for our commercial customers To be a Ford experience it's going to be unique and we know these customers very well and they have very different charging experience and and requirements so i would just encourage us both when we think about the charging work statement we should think about not just a retail one we should also think about the commercial vehicles because it's quite different and it's starting from scratch
1: so the lightning's coming out you've obviously got a a new focus here widening sort of the the aperture of what an electric car can do But the Mustang Mach-E came out. It was the the first of your consumer push. It seems like it's been very successful. You're saying it's sold out. What have you learned now that it's launched and out and people are are buying it?
2: I think we've learned two things. You touched on one. Charging, we have a, a continuous work to do, probably for the rest of my career, on making the charging experience better and better and better. That's one thing. The second thing we've learned is, Boy, the data off the vehicle is just invaluable. Like, we are constantly shocked every day of how many quality issues we can catch and improve in an OTA. We did our first high-volume OTA for the F-150 and the, and the Mach-E. You know, we, we solved a bunch of problems like battery drains that in the past would have taken a safety recall or a customer effect. So I think the other one is that we're really saving money more than we thought and improving quality but it takes a lot to do that off, because the data sets off the vehicles every moment is so big there's such big data sets and you need ai to, to analyze what's a problem what's just a signal the third thing i would say is we're now realizing how important it is to have a dedicated group far after job one to make that customer OTA feature set better and better and better. So we get 10 more miles every year out of the range. We get, you know, four or five marquee customer experiences like Blue Cruise that we OTA. And that requires for a car company who's focused on, we'll sell a car, we'll see you in four years. Uh, yeah. Being always on for the customer every day is a complete game changer where we have to be software first. Uh, we've been transitioning already, but to do it at scale, not at hundreds of thousands like Tesla's doing, but six million a year, like Ford does, it's a really big lift. So I think that's what we're learning from Maki. It's very exciting. It's a huge change. We are hiring software leaders for those OTA features as fast as we can, and we're learning a lot about the potential. Uh, but I would say so far, it's all good.
1: The idea that a car is just a rolling computer—it's very appealing to me or on a tech website. But it is, right? You just signed a deal with Google. Android's going to power sync in the future. How long should people expect Ford to support the computers in their cars the way that I expect Apple to support my iPhone for eight years or 10 years?
2: This is such an important question. It's actually the first time I've ever been asked this question. And I will tell you that We have to go through a kind of game-changing mentality of simplifying our technology stack so we can support all the software releases for all this complexity. And, you know, for me, this is probably one of the key areas uh, that I spend the most time on. Because right now we, we have updatable vehicles with the exception of the body control module, most modules now. Um, some people had entertainment modules. We can do pretty much the whole car, like powertrain, with the exception of body control. We're going to a fully networked vehicle soon. Like you said, a computer on wheels. So how how much software resources do we put on vehicles that have, you know, the previous updatable? You know, we're up to millions of connected vehicles now. I, I think we're at Ford. We're a trusted brand, frankly, more than a lot of technology companies. If you look at the survey, we're going to have to uh, commit to the resources to support these vehicles that we're launching now for for decades to come. The real lift is going to be how do we simplify going forward, so that we only have certain hardware and and soft, embedded software solutions. Complexities, so that we don't go crazy with our software resources.
1: Yeah, it seems like the challenge is, you know, I might get a new phone every two years, but it's worthwhile for the phone makers to update the operating system of my phone because they get to monetize it over time, right? You, there's, a, there's a Apple versus Epic is at trial right now over who gets to monetize the phone and how, but that pays for a lot of software maintenance, a lot of care for a piece of hardware that. I might swap at a pretty high rate. A car, I might have for way longer than a phone. It sits in the driveway of the garage for for years and years and years. You don't have that secondary monetization of a car. You're collecting some data, but I don't want you to monetize my data directly. So how do you support the cost of software updates for a decade against a car that you've only gotten to monetize once?
2: Well, I'd like to challenge your thinking a little bit because I absolutely see an upgradable car physically upgradable car. Okay. We have to get our heads around that as an industry. You take a Crown Victoria taxi. That thing probably got upgraded on its way to 300,000 miles like 4 or 5 times. The springs, the suspension, the brakes. You know, we have to get our heads around updating communication modules and other things in the vehicle because we want to take advantage of the pace of change in consumer electronics. I would say you can expect in a fully networked vehicle that's a software using Linux and Ethernet and Android. It's going to be very similar to kind of your phone. I mean, there'll be software updates for your, your embedded software system, just like there is for your phone. And it's going to make your car, your vehicle a lot better. And I do think that unlike your phone, where you may get a new one two or three years later, we'll have lots of used cars. I do believe in the commercial world you know, these vehicles because a lot of our commercial customers used to buy because the emissions standards changed. And they had to buy a Euro 6 or a a new, you know, new F-150 Super Duty. With electric, that's out the window. It's zero emission. So you could, I could easily see customers owning these vehicles, you know, multiple customers 30 years. could be like a 737 fuselage where, you know, it gets upgraded. I think that's absolutely on the table.
1: That's really exciting. And it connects to... Uh, a big topic that I want to make sure we talk about, which is there is a chip shortage right now. It's hitting car makers especially hard. Ford is cutting production by up to 50% this quarter because of the chip shortage. I saw you were on CNBC today. You said you're redesigning some components to use more accessible chips. That, to me, is code for we're on a bunch of old process nodes for the chips in the car right now at 55 nanometers and above, which is really old tech. And we got to get to where the industry is able to, to produce supply. But that means you're gonna start using really modern chips, really modern components. Are you anticipating that you're gonna add functionality or be able to, to take bigger leaps in what cars can do because you're gonna start using these more modern and in some cases more efficient and more price effective components?
2: Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things we're insourcing that we never used to. We're, we're insourcing autonomy. Uh, We're insourcing software. We used to give that to our suppliers. So 70 modules of control in F-155 years ago, you know, all the software was owned by someone else. So we're insourcing all that. And we're insourcing cell production and know-how inside the company. And I think one one of the things that's really obvious to us right now is the SOC design. Not only do we have to move to 22 nanometer or, or smaller advanced semis, more importantly, we have to be in a position to know inside the company what to choose and customize off the shelf computes to work for us because we're going to be doing a lot of AI processing. All the video we're ingesting, that has to be AI processed on board to make decisions, let's say, on partial autonomy. And so we are going to have to have real expertise in the company on silicon and design. It'll be a transition. We're going through that with cells now, uh, battery cells. and. Uh, we absolutely have to think about our supply chain similarly. Buffer stocks, direct deals with foundries. We can't just run a just-in-time manufacturing system and have exposures like we do today.
1: There's a big push from a number of chipmakers and foundries to do the manufacturing in the United States to get various incentives from the administration to support that investment. All of that still looks like 10 years out. How do you solve the chip shortage today? Do you just wait it out, or are there steps you can take?
2: Well, there's certainly things we can do for single source content, uh, like the Renesis Naka Three facility that that had a fire. You know, those single sourced chips, uh, we can run some stocks, some buffer stocks, which is not ideal. It's kind of waste, but you know, it's better than running out like we have. <laughs> the other thing we can do is is to give the foundries more confidence in the future production by going directly with them. And so on behalf of our supply base, actually going in and contracting purchases. I think those are, you know, really uh, boots on the ground in places place like Taiwan and and China and Asia are gonna be more important for us. I think there's certainly things we can do to make it better. We are starting to see some confidence in, in the second half of this year. But when I talk to my colleagues at Cisco and, and, and Dell and other companies, You know, they run their supply chain totally different than automotive, and it's about time for us to catch up.
1: We're going to fit in one more quick break. When we come back, I'll talk to Jim about his decision-making framework.
2: Hear that?
1: So we've talked about a lot of multivariate problems to solve, moving both retail and commercial to to EVs, supply chains, re-architecting the company to be more of a software company. I ask every executive this question. You're the CEO of Ford, one of the most iconic American companies. What is your decision-making framework? How do you make these decisions?
2: We have a 10-point plan. It's very simple, but hard to execute. Uh, First thing is we have to turn around automotive operations. We've been in markets and products that have never been profitable and don't have a sustainable view to profitability. We have to simplify that and really get into those iconic vehicles that we're really good at naturally, uh, like the F-Series electric. So turning around automotive is really essential for us because it funds all the next things I'm going to talk about. The second thing we have to do is modernize the company. And that means really not just electric vehicles, much more important than that is to go to a digital product, which you and I've been talking about. It's like investing in advanced electric architectures with embedded software systems and a flexible software systems that can adapt to new sensors, using the data off the vehicle to make the quality loop better and giving the customer better functionality over time with the vehicle. That's modernizing Ford. Uh, we have to go really deep on commercial. We are the dominant player globally, light commercial vehicles, a great business. It's a very different kind of customer. We do it naturally, and we need to vertically integrate the services. What does that mean? That means in the past, we had other people do the services, fleet management, telematics, financing for small business for their charger, charging itself. We need to vertically integrate, and that means to go into physical services and digital services for commercial customers. And the last thing we need to do is disrupt ourselves. And that's really hard because Henry Ford kind of democratized (laughs) transportation with the Model T. And and here we are, and the way we disrupt ourselves is to go to a per mile or per day type of model where people don't own, but they rent. And uh, that's a big disruption to our business model. I'm not gonna get into the specifics. It doesn't have to be all autonomous. We've been in the spin business. Micro is really interesting. We've learned a ton of that. It's really informed the next generation of our thinking in this per mile business. That's really what the company is going to look like. Three different kinds of businesses, a disrupted kind of per mile uh, rental model, uh, a commercial services company, and a modernized Ford. It's a full-time job. We're going to be busy for many years to come. But boy, the, uh, the F-150 electric and the Maki are good for first examples.
1: You mentioned I- iconic brands there, so I want to I want to ask this question, and I want you to to walk me through it using that decision making framework. I read every piece about the Maki that was ever written, I'm obsessed with this thing. There's a really big split in the decision to make that project a Mustang. In about half the articles, the team takes credit for it. They say we decided it was going to be Mustang, and in the other half of the articles, I hear it was your decision. So, hey, tell me which one's right. And B, walk me through that decision to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to pivot this EV product into one of our bigger, more famous brands.
2: It is kind of an interesting story. It's, uh, but one of the things I've learned in this business uh, of excellence in products is when you have something like a Mustang and you tell the organization, this is going to be a Mustang everything changes. Like all the doors open, you can hear the uh, celestial humming (laughs) and people get really deadly serious about a perfect product. And so I knew that in the sea of ubiquitous, generic, electric commodity vehicles, that Ford could really be different and more emotional. Let's say that Detroit Swagger with a Mustang-themed electric car. And that means it would have to sound different, it would have to go like heck, it would have to handle well. Um, and yes, we could add modern technology to it, not just the bed, but the, the UX experience inside the vehicle. But you have to bring your A game and you have to bring what makes you different as a company. And so when the organization got focused on making it a Mustang, everything changed literally everything changed. We went from a pretty generic execution informed by the wind or (laughs) arrow, to a complete vehicle that only Ford could do. And, you know, I I saw it happen. I, I could see it happen on Bronco. I could see it happen on a lot of our vehicles. When you get the team excited about one of these iconic vehicles, the responsibility and the accountability in the organization changes. And anyways, that's why it was a game changer for us. You know, I'm not going to get into, I'm the last person to ask who did what to whom and all that (laughs) stuff. All I care about is a great product. And I know the truth in life, which is you want great products, stick to what you're really good at. We're really good at Mustangs. We're really good at F-Series.
1: One of the things I've noticed about the Mustang is when I had it, it has barely any Ford logos on it. The Bronco has barely any Ford logos on it. F-150, Lightning is a new brand. You're very focused on these sub-brands of cars. How does that relate to how you're positioning Ford?
2: Our strategy is very simple. We are going to double down our iconic nameplates, and we're going to build a family of vehicles. And there's going to be diversity in those icons. They come naturally. We have high intimacy with the customer. Being with F-150 customers to us is like having a barbecue. (laughs) They're (laughs) our next-door neighbors. We, We know them that well. And we know... You know, like the Homer had a, I think, a donut maker and a beer dispenser. You know, if you ask people what they want, you get a Homer. But if you know the customers really well, you can surprise them with 12 kilowatts of power to to power their home. They won't expect that. They won't tell you they need that in a focus group. But if you know them well enough, you know they'll like it.
1: Yeah. One of the big features of the new F 150, Lightning included, is Blue Cruise, which is a fairly advanced driver-assist system. It can get you down a bunch of highways. It feels like kind of wrapped, wrapping up with cars or computers now, in order to execute that, you need a bunch of mapping software. You need an interface. You got to get away from, you know, every car review video I watch, they look at the center screen and they're like, it has CarPlay and Android Auto. And that's the the end of talking about it. But if you're going to use self-driving, you got to retake that screen. What is that investment like? And what, is, what does Google bring to the table that you need there?
2: It's such an important point because I think this area of our business is going to change more than people think. First of all, the Apple ecosystem, I'm sure, is going to get really good. And so for Android customers, we want a really good solution. We also want to have the best Apple CarPlay experience, too. Look, our, our industry is filled with people expending spending. It doesn't differentiate us. So navigation system. Do I want my team spending hundreds of millions of dollars building a navigation system compared to what I could get on my phone? And the answer is only if it's better. And so uh, an Android or a Google Automotive Service gives us a chance to really have a stable platform by a really good tech company who, uh, who knows their customers really well for content delivery and navigation and great maps and we can get my team focused on what's going to differentiate us on top of that platform instead of spending money on empty calories doing stuff that doesn't really matter. <laughs> and I think we're, you know, that's, that's our philosophy now. It's a little bit tricky because it feels like the brand is starting to be given up in places. But you know, in the end of the day, our ecosystem, our digital lives are what they are. And Ford has to get real with that. And I want our team working on stuff that's going to differentiate us, like those iconic software experiences, not empty calories that, you know, like a CD player, a track player that really just won't matter anymore.
1: I buy a Mustang Mach-E today. Next year, you come out with the version that runs Android. You've already talked about upgradable cars. Will I be able, able to upgrade my current Sync 4, Sync 4A systems to the next version of Sync that runs on Android?
2: I think, generally speaking, you know, the approach you want to take, it's going to be a lot simpler when we go to fully networked vehicles. But the approach you want to make is that you're always going to have that upgradeability. There will be some transition where the content on the vehicle is just not capable yet, or the software, embedded software, is not capable yet to fully change the customer experience. But over time, that's absolutely where we're going. Android Auto is especially powerful in that regard. Uh, as will Google Automotive Services, but Apple's going to be out there doing similar things, and and we're going to do something maybe unique for Ford on commercial because we we want to be we want to insource that digital experience because there's no one out there that can do it better than us. So I would say philosophical, you can expect a yes, but it kind of depends on what you buy and what, what you own because there there's a transition period.
1: I think you know uh, I own a F one fifty Raptor, a Gen two. You're coming up on the release of the, the third generation. Every Raptor owner in the forums wants to know, what is the horsepower and torque number of the Gen 3 Raptor?
2: <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot. Uh, you had to wait for this question at the end. Okay, so um, it's going to be a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it more than the one I have now?
2: I will, I will tell you that, uh, by the way, the F-150 electric will be faster. Yeah. But we're, we're not going to just have one Raptor. So I have a couple of choices of different numbers to give you. The reality is we're finishing the engineering and, and we have to certify the vehicle. And I can't give you the horsepower or torque number until we certify with the U.S. <laughs> government because it could change uh, <laughs> and, and, and it will change. Uh, but we definitely have a target and the new Raptor is going to be all that. And it won't be the only Raptor. All right. Because Raptor is an iconic nameplate too.
1: Am I going to get an electric Raptor? That was a big shrug. I tried. At the end here, you have to give me credit for trying.
2: You're going for it. You're going <laughs> for it. Uh, yeah, the, the, my PR folks are, are warning me. Stay within the lanes, Jim. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we're, we're, we're good. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the Raptor, and, and it's a great brand. I, I can remember. Look, we did Raptor. <laughs> we did Raptor over 10 years ago. And uh, coming from Toyota, desert racing trucks were a big deal for us. I kind of knew this was going to be a thing or could be a thing because the suspension is so compliant. It's so fun to drive, but it's also so comfortable and it looks so awesome and it's so capable and the high speed part is, would be something new for the industry. And I think it's great that we have customers like you that the vehicle resonated with and we're not going to stop. We have lots of vehicles, but Raptor is very special for us. Like the ford gt like we're only going to do it when it meets its requirement we're, we're not going to democratize it it's always going to be something special at ford so i can't wait to show you the new one i can't get honestly i can't give you the the, the <laughs> stats because we just haven't finished it
1: i had to try all right jim thank you so much for being on decoder this is great
2: yeah really enjoy the time super informative i love your your orientation of your questions and I wish I had more chances to talk to tech experts like you,
1: frankly. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot of tech problems. So I'm eager to have you back someday. Thank you again to Jim Farley for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Liam James and Alexander Charles Adams and edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.